There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry. Those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Captivity can go far beyond the companies you represent. It starts between your ears and its impact is felt in every corner of your business. We're all about helping agency principals and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. If your goals are big enough, you're going to have to get uncomfortable to be able to reach them. Our team at RiskWell is living this out every single day. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and everything I learn along the way. We deliver relevant, tactical, and actionable content from industry peers, innovative partners, and a variety of leaders from other business verticals. We're not holding anything back. There's no upsell, no guru pitch, and no fluff. It's time to unshackle yourself from captivity and make your freedom jump with the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. Hey folks, welcome back to the Agency Freedom Podcast. We help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. Our guest for this episode is a doozy. Uh, for those of you that don't do anything in the uh, ENS side of the insurance industry, you may have no idea who this man is, but you absolutely should. He is Mr. Hank Watkins. He is the president of Lloyd's North America. And I'm sure I would mess with the rest of your title. It uh, There's other titles that you wear beyond just president of Lloyd's North America. Hank, thanks so much for joining us, man. Thank you, James. Great to be here. And uh, I'm just happy to be able to talk to you and your audience about what Lloyd's is and welcome all your questions. Yeah. And, and I know we talked about it beforehand, but just as a refresher, the majority of the audience here is early stage agency principals and, and sales professionals. A lot of folks uh, are still on the captive side of distribution. So you're, you know, State Farm, Farmers Allstate, AmFam, et cetera. There's a lot of other folks that are here just because for some reason they find me entertaining or engaging in some form or fashion, but just kind of direct the flow of conversation. A lot of folks are, you know, within the first few years of their career in agency ownership. So I would be remiss if I didn't start our conversation here by first thanking uh, Mark Furman as well as Jim Keen for making this conversation happen. Not to toot my own horn here at all, but you don't just walk in the door and talk to Hank Watkins. You have a lot on your plate. There's a lot of things that you're responsible for. A pretty significant team at Lloyd's reports to you. Uh, so very grateful to Mark and to Jim for uh, making this conversation possible. So thank you to our friends at Burns & Wilcox and SIAA. And uh, Hank, let me just start with you as an individual, not you as the, the professional, the leader of uh, a, a significant market for Lloyd's, but Hank Watkins, the person. How did you come to be where you are in this significant and important position? Uh, give us the, you know, the brief rundown of your career to this point, man. Boy, so I've been about 42 years in the business and after I went to UC Berkeley, and wanted to work in San Francisco in the financial services industry. But back then, international banking was in the tank because of a lot of uh, bad debts around the world. Chubb had an international underwriting trainee position. What the heck is that? So I decided hmm. to give it a shot for a year or two. And uh, they ended up sending me to Belgium for two years on a rotation. And when I got back at about age 26, uh, got put into a number of different jobs at Chubb and lasted, uh, worked there about seven years, a terrific company. And uh, really taught me a lot about underwriting and, as importantly, the importance of claims in the whole conversation. Because if there were no claims, if there were no losses, of course, we wouldn't be here talking today. And, and I ultimately yep. uh, wanted to get to a role uh, where I didn't have to say no to anybody. Um, and the best place to go for that is a broker if you're going to stay in the industry. Uh, little did I yep. know that uh, brokers uh, always have to find a solution. And, and that was, was was thrilling to me. So I spent the better part of my career until about 12 years ago uh, with a couple of very large brokers and thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, but the Lloyd's opportunity came along and, and I decided at that point in my career, I know this being a very unique organization, uh, that, that I would uh, welcome the opportunity to lead them in the US and Canada. And that's ultimately evolved into the Latin America and the Caribbean. So we're sitting back hmm. here in New York and I, I look forward to Helping your audience understand, uh, you know, first and foremost, what the ENS sector is. We have a lot of terrific competitors, and, and, and as importantly, what Lloyd's might do to be able to help them. 
No, I'm going to earmark a little question for the end of our time if we have it, because you slipped in there, Central America and the Caribbean. Anybody who's a nerd for insurance like I am knows that that includes the island of Bermuda, which is an incredibly interesting little wrinkle. So if we have time, I'm going to save a Bermuda question or two uh, for the end. Uh, Hank, why don't we start off by simply describing what is Lloyd's? Because as we talked about in our lead up to this conversation, a lot of folks may not be familiar with what Lloyd's is uh, organizationally and then the structure of Lloyd's because it's not a carrier. It's not a wholesaler. It's not a retailer of some kind. It is a marketplace where all of those stakeholders aforementioned they all coexist. They all find ways to make business happen. So what is Lloyd's? That, that's very true, James. Uh, I like it to look at it like, a, like a, uh, uh, maybe a luxury mall, and, and, or I should say a specialty mall. So we're the landlord, and you want to open a shop in our mall. Uh, we need to look at your business plan, see who you are, uh, determine what your attitude towards customers is, uh, if you have the ability to fulfill inventory, in this case, pay claims. And if you have enough capital behind you to really fulfill your business plan. And if we like each other enough, uh, we agree to go forward and you, know, you pay us a certain amount of your uh, revenue every year to be on our platform. So expand that to Lloyd's. You know, I won't go into the history, but we've been around about 330 years. Started in Edward Lloyd's coffee shop back in 1688 and essentially was a place where, where merchants gathered uh, to pool their, their own assets to ensure ships and cargoes that went off and sometimes didn't come back. And, you know, over the course of the first 200 years, Lloyd's primarily insured ships and cargoes. Uh, brokers got involved as, as, as economies advanced and, and new lands were, were developed. And, and from there, we've turned into a marketplace as has much of the industry where pretty much anything is insurable. Uh, we we uh, have about 60 classes of business we write in the U.S. alone. Uh, what we don't insure is cannabis. So if anybody out there is looking for a home for their cannabis distribution partners, their, their, their retailers, et cetera. Uh, we're not currently doing that because it's still a federally prohibited activity, although we do write it in Canada because it is, it is illegal up there. But, and, and we're not a player in personal auto, which would be important for your audience to know, or workers' comp, although our reinsurance arm provides a lot of security for those classes of business. Uh, but yep. it's, you know, the ENS sector, which is where we play, we're the largest surplus lines insurer, if you will, in, in the U.S. is a critical place, especially for young people starting out in the industry, because it's, it's a way you can find solutions to some really challenging uh, problems that your, your prospects in many cases or, or current clients might have. And I can get into that more detail, get into more detail on that with you down the line if you like, James. But you're right. We're, we're, uh, we're a marketplace. We're not an insurance company. So even though your policy as a policyholder would say insured by certain underwriters at Lloyd's, there's usually a number of syndicates behind that 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 support that uh, that provide that capacity to to support your policy. Yeah, imagine my surprise several years ago as a young agency owner when I realized that certain underwriters at Lloyd's, comma London, wasn't in fact a carrier or wholesaler at all. It was simply a designation of hey, this is where this stuff happens. But then you know having to learn to go through there and. You look at the participation percentages and figure out uh, which paper, which syndicates were involved. Man, that was a whole process uh, early in my career. Very interesting. I just wanted to touch on that. You go back to 2019 or pre-COVID, one of our selling points was the fact that you come to London as a broker or a risk manager looking for solutions. You can probably get it done within a day. You move around the room, you go to one of those 50 or 60 boxes, which are essentially the desks that different underwriters occupy, occupy representing different syndicates. And our subscription model has worked really well for us over the centuries because any one underwriter doesn't take the whole risk. A number of underwriters sign on to your, your risk. And then uh, over time, as you uh, remain a policyholder at Lloyd's, a lot of different underwriters kind of understand who you are. They, they, they hear about you. And so if any one of those syndicates in a given year wants to drop off for whatever the reason, there are usually several others who will pop in there. So it, it's a, a much more efficient way for brokers to spread, uh, get the risk placed, especially the more complex risks. But during COVID, 
our initial concern in the first hours of, of that, what, late March 2020 period was, this is a face-to-face marketplace. We're all going home. And what's going to happen tomorrow? But we were able yep. to very fortunately turn the key because of a lot of invest- investment we had made in technology and went completely digital virtually. And, and uh, that worked really well for the, the next couple of years. The challenge now, of course, that we face, as does anybody, is do people want to come back to the office five days a week? So we, we grew through that period. We had a lot of claims as well, but we've grown uh, through that period. Now the challenge is to get everybody back into that building uh, or, or engaged in the entire uh, zip code around there, which we call EC3, on a five-day-a-week basis. Is that going to happen? I don't know. Uh, it's not going to hmm. impede our progress, but we are a social industry, right, James? And, and you want to be around people as much as you can be. And it's, it's fascinating to hear that even Lloyd's, you know, the granddaddy of modern insurance, is facing exactly the same staffing and people challenges that everybody else, every other stakeholder in the industry is. I mean, even my office, we have those conversations. There's only nine of us here at Riskwell, but we have the same challenges that a, you know, a massive complex organization like Lloyd's has that you just described. I've always found it terribly interesting the way that Lloyd's operates with, I mean, some of it is so much respect for history and the way that we've always done things. Going down to just the the building there, which is definitely on my bucket list to to visit the Lloyd's headquarters in London and the large clock that sits over the desk with the book at the table. It's like the book, the book of all books where you can like go back and see the ledger stuff from many, many, many years ago. For an insurance nerd, it, it's basically a journey to Mecca uh, for for a Muslim. It's like at some point in your career, you have to go to Lloyd's of London and see the book and the giant clock on the wall. And man, it's such a cool thing uh, to be in that world when the law of large numbers is literally played out on on the floor there, where you're literally walking around trying to find someone to take your risk, and then the whole subscription process you know, breaking it up. I just find the whole thing fascinating. Thank you for indulging my fanboy because I, man, what a cool thing to see played out in real time. It's like the the bones and muscles and ligaments of the insurance industry all in one room. It's, it's true. And if I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that the London market, which is the other side of the street from us, is equally important. You know, the, the entire London ecosystem for insurance and reinsurance is give or take $100 billion a year. Lloyd's has about mm-hmm. half of that. The, the market that's not in Lloyd's, you know, it would be Swiss, Re, Zurich, some of the others, uh, they, uh, they write an equally important part of that business. So a broker, a risk manager can come to London and pretty much whatever they're trying to transfer away to the insurance world, uh, they can get done in London pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. I say that Again, I don't want people in the audience to think that we still are traditionally face-to-face. you got to get there in person. You don't have to. There are hundreds of cover holders in the U.S. Burns and Wilcox, a very important one. Uh, there are MGAs and MGUs, which all of your, your uh, audience will have worked with in the past. A lot of them have the pen with Lloyd's to, in fact, bind coverage right there, uh, either virtually or if they're at their offices, which, again, rarely happens. So... You don't have to come to London anymore to get your deals done. Uh, that's the romantic side of it, and everyone should go there once. But in this virtual world, you, you can get your deals placed anywhere in, with the Lloyd's market if you find the right cover holder partner. And, and we here at Lloyd's in New York can help you do that. If you're scratching your head about where do I go with my risk, feel free to reach yep. out to me, and we, we can help you walk through that. No, I don't mind saying it. I, I, I plan to be in this career for a, a lot more years after this. I, I'm only 39. And <laughs> if I get to the end of my career and I've never gone to London and negotiated my own slip and, and had that whole conversation and had program manager or administrator as one of my titles, I'm going to feel like I missed out on you know a little bit of the fun. I'll be real with you. Well, you so, start, start with us first, James, and we'll help you through it. Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. Now, the, the question kind of begs itself. I'm a huge fan of, of why. Simon Sinek's very famous book, Start mm-hmm. With Why. It, it seems like the natural time to ask that question. We've heard about the who, what, where, when of Lloyd's. What is the why for Lloyd's in today's world, post-COVID, 
very complex distribution realities. Mm. InsureTechs are such a disruptor. And I'm going to ask about the Lloyd's Lab uh, in a little bit and the way that you guys are approaching innovation. But just Lloyd's as an organization, as you look at 2023 and beyond, what's the why? Why does Lloyd's exist today? Great question. Why are we relevant? Yeah. So, the, you know, the ENS sector, again, which is where we play, is where people go with, with either a brand new risk, you know, pick the sharing economy, for example. There was a time when that, that industry plateaued because only so many people would get into a car of a stranger or, or rent a stranger's home and vice versa. Uh, the insurance industry got involved, some enterprising brokers, a number of Lloyd syndicates decided, hey, we're going to start offering coverage to these, these gig economy participants so that they can rent their home comfortably, knowing there's insurance behind them if something happens. That the person who rents the room knows that if they fall down the stairs, there's a Lloyd's policy behind them to take care of them. So that's a way that the industry has continued to remain very relevant and at the same time facilitate growth of an entire new segment of our economy. There's also a place in the ENS sector for businesses that have a really, uh, really bad experience for whatever had some bad luck. Uh, they go to the ENS sector sometimes to rehabilitate and they go back into the admitted market. Uh, it, it's also where you go for capacity. Typically, a lot of the uh, 50% of Lloyd's premium in the U.S. is in the, the property space. A lot of that's in property cat. You know, it could be wind, flood, tornado, wildfire on the West Coast. Although uh, in the Western U.S. and Canada, uh, wildfire coverage, of course, is, is becoming increasingly scarce. You saw the news about State Farm changing their perspective yep. on California. So it's, uh, but that's in, 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 at a very high level why the ENS sector and Lloyd's are relevant today. Again, it's a place you can go, particularly as a young producer. Uh, you may not be thinking about the next 50 years writing X class of business, competing and every day knocking your, your, um, trying to knock your, your head against the wall uh, to, to shave a price. You know, it, it, clients do buy price often, but I always encourage younger folks, and I had this experience myself, go find the most challenging risks. You know, if it's a publicly traded prospect, look in their notes and find out where they've got real big problems, oftentimes it's environmentally related, find a way to understand their business that way. Go in at that angle with you being the only person because of your great relationships in the ENS sector who can solve that one problem. Once you get in there and solve that problem, it's off their notes and, and you, get an, you get access to the rest of the account. For those with perhaps smaller accounts, again, you, you find a segment of the economy. I picked sharing economy for a reason. And, and there's, there's hundreds of gig economy companies out there right now, you can become the expert in the gig economy with ENS partners, whether they be Lloyd's cover holders or our competitors, and you can actually build a niche for yourself while you're starting out your career. And once you get that going, uh, the sky's the limit for you because there's always going to be in this crazy world that we live in, the next really challenging problem that's coming around the corner that we haven't even thought of yet. And I guess for that reason, I love the industry more than I ever have because we're problem solvers. We have no idea what's up next year or the year after. Cyber has always been a big challenge, but there's a lot of other things coming at us that our industry can solve problems about uh, in, in the folks out there who want to, are at the early end of their career, early part of their career, have a huge opportunity ahead of them to do that. But you need the right partners. And I'd say ENS, certainly surplus lines is a great place to go. This is off the, the beaten path, so forgive me for throwing a little bit of a curveball here, but th this question occurred to me as I'm sitting here listening to you. What do you think Lloyd's learned from the coronavirus pandemic? Because insurance as an industry was involuntarily thrust mm -hmm. into the spotlight uh, of the news and, and you know major news networks in ways that I don't think any of us wanted to be or expected to be with the way that you know, certain ambiguities or vagueness in policy language created a whole bunch of challenges. Uh, what, what did Lloyd's learn from COVID and, and how is Lloyd's a, a better partner, a more effective distribution uh, you know, referee uh, moving forward? So we did pay several billion dollars with a B in COVID claims. A lot of that was around the event cancellation coverages, the contingency, we call it. You think of Wimbledon, the Tokyo Olympics, all the things that were canceled. We also paid a lot of business interruption claims to property owners who had purchased that coverage. Uh, we were, as were most other insurance carriers in the U.S., 
and some in Canada that, who wrote property coverage for hospitality, for example, if we didn't have that extension on the policy, we weren't going to pay the claims. Uh, all that ended up in court. And, and as an industry, as you well know, we came out uh, on, on, on the right side of that, we think. Uh, our, our policies yep. were not rewritten in court to, to provide coverage for things that we didn't intend to cover. So it's a great question. What did we learn? We, we learned that for the next pandemic, uh, there really has to be a solidified governmental approach globally to partner with the insurance industry to help us do this together. You know, you look at the, the conversation around climate change. Uh, there's no single insurance company or, or business for that matter who, who can tackle it by themselves. We really think there has to be a government partnership to figure out first and foremost how we can all contribute to this together versus the many disparate conversations we're having now. But I, I yeah, I hope I answered your question. If I didn't, you did. You know. Yeah, it, I, I, you may remember this interview. Uh, I, I imagine you probably saw at least a clip of it. It was in the middle of the, the pandemic and Evan Greenberg, CEO of Chubb, was on Jim Cramer's Mad Money show. And Cramer was trying to put the screws to, to Evan and basically getting him to, to admit that insurance should pick up the tab for these coronavirus-related closures and business income specifically. And I thought the way that, that Evan approached the the role of insurance as the the stopgap for all the horrific things that people buy insurance for and the way that he presented the argument that one this is not the responsibility of an insurance company no one ever underwrote for this risk or collected premiums for this risk i mean he was an ad hoc spokesperson for all of us but that moment i remember thinking Wow, this is a just a powerful conversation. And I was really grateful that we had a representative as as wise as Evan Greenberg to to kind of carry the flag for us all. Yes, James, we as an industry, particularly in the U.S. and even in Canada, where there were one or two class actions, struggled with a response to the, the hundreds, if not thousands, of, of hospitality businesses that, that desperately needed a response that was favorable to them. But in cases where there was no coverage for communicable disease, we, we didn't feel we had a, an obligation to have our policies rewritten. So I fully agree with what Evan Greenberg said. Where there was communicable disease coverage and policies, the industry paid. We always paid a lot of those claims globally. But again, it was an opportunity for the government to step in, which they certainly did, uh, to help people uh, at least stay somewhat solvent so they could recover and, and get out of this thing. Uh, going forward... The industry has learned a lot about this, and, and it is offering uh, pandemic coverage again. You know, one thing I, I just should have mentioned earlier, there, there was an opportunity uh, through various insurance companies to provide, to buy uh, coverage for pandemic. Lloyd's had some of that available. Some of the brokers we do business with did through our competitors. Very few people with any bought the coverage. And we have a pretty interesting thought leadership page on our website a number of our industry partners, Swiss Re, um, Munich Re, certainly have some terrific uh, thought leadership that they've produced over the years. We produced a pandemic, you know, what if pandemic white paper about 10 years ago that nobody seemed to pay much attention to. And it, it essentially laid out what would happen to the industry if there were a global pandemic. Hmm. So it's, uh, you know, you go back that long ago and, and a lot of these things have unfortunately come, come to fruition. But uh, I, don't, I don't disagree with, with Evan Greenberg's comments on, on that. And as an industry, hopefully we're smarter and stronger going forward and the government will uh, become a partner of ours when the next one does come. You know, it, uh, it, it leads very naturally to the topic of ESG or environmental, social, mm -hmm. and you know, corporate governance. It, some people like to throw other words around. I, I recognize that, you know, terms like you know, woke have a politically charged um, perception in a lot of places. Uh, some some people may want to call call it that or call it something else. But the whole topic of ESG, it seems to me that it's nothing more than an increased awareness of the the secondary impact of you know corporate decision making. Hey, Freedom Jumper, are you looking to take your business to the next level? Who isn't, right? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS. 
At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they understand the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing marketplace. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique or outlandish they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and guidance you need to see your agency succeed, Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't just survive in the competitive insurance industry. Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. Get started today. Learn more at nbsbrokerage.com. What, what's your take on, on how we as stakeholders, as, as, as leaders, as content creators in the insurance industry can, can better engage with ideas like ESG to help improve the industry and, and our communities as a whole? I would say anybody who's in the insurance industry and is currently uh, partnering with the traditional extraction, refining, and delivery segments of our economies, which, which clearly drive our economies and, and uh, should not be disrupted overnight, uh, has a role to play in ensuring the transition. And there are very few major uh, global oil exploration companies that don't already have and haven't for years had a, a renewable energy element to their business. So our, our industry, whether you're a broker, uh, a regional insurance carrier, or, or a global, uh, we all have opportunities to, to work together to provide that bridge between the traditional and, and what's coming. Uh, I, I would say there are very few people that aren't interested in the transition and how that's insured. Uh, there's a large swath of our economy, certainly of our, of our country, who are opposed to disrupting the traditional energy uh, business w- without a solution on the other end. Uh, it, it's a highly charged topic, as you say. I would say the E certainly has gotten its fair share of attention. The S is, is critically important because I, I view culture as one of the most important elements of any company's uh, attractiveness to potential new clients and certainly to potential new talent to join their organizations. And, and you got to believe that the governance element of it, which is critical to all of our survival, um, it doesn't always get done right, but that's something that everybody pays a lot of attention to. But E certainly has gotten a the, the bulk of the attention lately. Well, I think it's very complex and interesting issue to, to talk about because, you know, there there's a whole point counterpoint thing to be mindful of. You know, I live in Texas, so you can imagine I'm somewhat uh, interested in the energy sector and, and how it drives a significant portion of the, the Texas economy and, you know, a lot of the Midwest, especially up in the Dakotas and whatnot. You know, the energy sector is massive in its reach and influence. And when you start talking about environmental impact and, and electric vehicles and Teslas and all that stuff, and you start thinking about the, the carbon emissions that are created by manufacturing batteries and these electric cars and, and how the wind turbines are you know, made of materials that are some of the least sustainable materials on the face of planet Earth or what these giant wind turbines are made out of. It's it is a complex and somewhat paradoxical conversation that I don't think necessarily has any easy answer, which makes it even more charged because you know people on both sides of any argument have valid talking points to bring up. So uh, very complex, That's very true. interesting topics for sure. It is. And how many younger folks have, have suggested to, anyway, people of my uh, vintage that it's easy to peg 2050 as a net zero target because you won't be around. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I've heard that a few times. Well, that's Hopefully just rude <laughs> of those millennials. They need to get in line. <laughs> I love millennials. I love them all. Oh, yeah. They're all good good colleagues and friends. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, Texas is the largest state for Lloyds in, in the uh, the U.S., followed closely by California. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're huge economies, certainly would, would, would suggest that. And, and we are one of the largest insurers of the energy industry in Texas, both onshore and upstream and downstream. Yep. I didn't have data in front of me, so I didn't want to say something to that effect, but I, I surmised exactly what you just said. Are, are we good to, to move on from there? I, I feel like we put sure, a, absolutely. we've done, yes. done a good job of bringing that up. The whole point of this podcast, honestly, we're not solving anything. It's just getting people to think about things they may not normally think about or getting them to consider a perspective beyond, beyond their own. So for those of you that are kind of wondering, well, 
well, where do we go from here? What do we do with what you just talked about, about ESG and you know the energy sector? Well, we're not solving anything. We're just advancing the conversation and, and hopefully you know, somebody will have a solution at some point that we can have a, another argument about and, and find the best way to move forward. So um, I'm going to hit the uh, little whoosh sound effect here. One of the things in the ENS world, Hank, that I think everybody can agree on, for, and generally speaking, of course, some wholesalers, some programs are better than others, obviously. The ENS world is not exactly known for innovation. It's not exactly known for improving processes and, and making things happen faster, easier, better. I'll take Accords, for example. Some of the things that the artifacts that we all use every single day in the ENS space uh, are the opposite of innovative uh, or improving anything. What's your position as a, a key leader in the Lloyd's organization for maybe some specific innovation or improvement that you have seen in the last couple of years? Maybe it's something that you guys are working on now with your Lloyd's Labs initiative. Uh, anything you want to say on the innovation front? Let me ask you why you're picking on the ENS sector for being relatively inefficient. <laughs> I, I would say the entire industry like, could be very fair. Yes. That brush. Uh, whatever is new and fresh and exciting, you can expect the insurance industry is five or 10 years behind that, whatever that is. <laughs> so point well taken. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a fair, fair statement. And, uh, it, it, you, know, you go back to the InsureTech uh, revolution. You mentioned disruptor early on in the conversation, and, and I, I think a lot of us have moved on to uh, enabler, if you will, because we've embraced the fact that that innovation is critical. Uh, a lot of customers out there, policyholders, and their distribution partners, the agents on this listening to this podcast, want to find ways to do business together that, that's faster, quicker, and cheaper particularly when it comes to getting the claims paid. So I, I would say uh, to, to some degree, the insure tech conversation, especially for the smaller commercial and you know, personal lines risks that aren't that complicated is, is a possible answer. Uh, you get more complicated, uh, you have more interesting conversations, I suppose, when you get to the more complex risks, but from an innovation standpoint, they, they sort of led the way. You know, whether or not they're making money is another story because it's, it's a highly complex business. I think a lot of the insured techs didn't realize the importance of, of gaining regula re regulatory support, approval, if you will, of, of their products early on, but they've all um, realized how important that is uh, going forward. The Lloyd's Lab started back in 2018. We weren't the first uh, accelerator uh, in the insurance industry. You know, AXA, uh, XL, um, Innovation did that several years ago. Munich Re's got a big play in that. And a number of our partners and competitors are in that space right now. But I think the advantage Lloyd's has with this lab in, in our building at One Lime Street there in London is that we invite in, uh, we're on our 10th cohort right now, actually. Uh, about 100 graduates have gone through the, the Lloyd's lab. And they typically come in as an insure tech or, or as a a business with an idea, whether it's new satellite technology to track hurricanes and help us respond to losses afterwards, any number of other graduates we've had. Uh, there's one in there right now called Firebreak that is working on new technology to help people better manage their wildfire risk in the Western states. They come into the Lloyd's lab. They have access to all of the underwriters and brokers in our market for a 10-week period and, and essentially are incubated. A lot of them come out with ideas that we end up investing in, or, or, or they end up just having the, the experience and the exposure to the Lloyd's market that gets them to the next step. We're really excited about that, and, and we're going to be bringing the Lloyd's lab over to the Americas next year to really focus on gaining much more traction with the potential participants. And I, I would say, to, again, to your audience out there, especially those who who love the industry, uh, think they have a place in it, but they also have some pretty interesting ideas or maybe their cousin or, or friend down the street has some pretty cool ideas about making our industry more efficient. And that could be at the front end where policies are placed. It could be at the back end where claims are, are handled. It could be anywhere in the middle where data is aggregated and distributed efficiently. Um, there could be a place for you at the Lloyd's lab to come in, uh, pitch your ideas, and, and if you're successful, spend 10 weeks with us and come out the other end with an investment. So don't just think that we're there for the well-known insure techs. We're there for anybody 
with a pretty interesting idea. Hmm. Well, that's fascinating, man. I would not be surprised if there's a freedom jumper out there who whose <laughs> ears just perked up and said, well, wait a second, I've got a great idea. I'd like to pitch it to Lloyd's lab. So uh, stay tuned, folks. I, I imagine uh, there will be lots of information coming down uh, the pipe from Lloyd's when the time comes. And you can count on me, Hank, to be a promoter of whatever you guys are getting out. I, I think the more that people are aware of opportunities to advance the conversation, I, I think we all win together when that happens. Well, James, if you Google Lloyd's lab, um, again, an uh, unabashed uh, plug. Yeah. It'll give you all the information you need about how to apply, when to apply, what the previous cohort members, who they've been. Um, so you, you get a sense generally of, of the past hundred graduates, you know, where you might fit in, or if you don't fit in, maybe you're, you're cutting edge, you do something totally different. But it's all there. Just Google Lloyd's Lab. Yeah, we'll definitely put that information in the show notes too for you listeners. You can uh, just scroll down past the header of this episode and click the links right there. So we are... Um we are on the downhill side of this conversation, and thank you again for giving your valuable time, Hank. I think this has been great so far. Uh, there's a couple of really touchy subjects that we brought up in our, our emails ahead of time. One of the things is how in the world do we get some of the more influential stakeholders in the insurance uh, industry, state legislatures, state you know, commissioners, mm. regulatory bodies across the U.S.? How do we move people in a direction to help soften the market? There, there are so many different headwinds that our industry faces across the board, not just for distribution, but for, you know, for policy uh, operations, for claims. Uh, the third-party administrator ecosystem is in shambles from my limited perspective. I don't know if the TPS or TPA, <laughs> TPS reports from uh, office space there. I don't know why that was in <laughs> right. my brain. But the uh, the TPA world, has it ever been harder for those folks? I, I feel like that entire engagement has more headwinds than we've ever experienced before. Um, that, that, there's a lot there. So let me just dial it back. How do we come together as stakeholders to move the market back in a softer direction? What actions can we take other than praying hard for God to keep the hurricanes away and the wildfires and the earthquakes? What else should we be doing as an industry to help soften things up again? So when you say soften, are you referring to just the... the Underwriting capacities, the, the, the reinsurance challenges, the the fear and anxiety yeah. and reinsurance marketplaces that leads to reduced capacity that leads to tightened up underwriting guidelines and lower sub limits. And, you know, there, it's like a cascade effect, right? When the reinsurance folks get yeah. anxious, everything else kind of rolls downhill. Okay. I, I thought when you said soften, I immediately go to when does the market turn again, Hank? And, Sorry, maybe uh, I didn't use exactly know, <laughs> the right terms. I, <laughs> no, 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 that's, Totally, I get it. You know, soft, hard, that's kind of the, the two ends of the spectrum in our market. And I've only been in a couple of hard markets in my whole career, and they lasted about two years. So this one's lasting longer, a combination of, of you, you referenced, you know, climate change, uh, lack of reinsurance capacity, lack of interest, really, uh, by a lot of particularly global players to continually investing uh, their capital in losing propositions. Uh, you, you look at the ILS marketplace, they came in big time to the cat property segment in, in the U.S. market several years ago, made some really good returns until they didn't. And, and now they are very, very tentative on, on reinvesting uh, their clients' capital in, in what continually appears to be a losing proposition as climate evolves. And not blaming it all on climate change, but uh, and not to pick on Florida, which is our third largest state uh, in, in a huge... Uh, economic engine for the country, but their litigation challenges have, have driven a lot of insurance companies out of that marketplace. And only recently has their Senate passed an, enough legislation, their Congress uh, to, to the state legislature rather, passed enough uh, legislation to, to essentially encourage insurance companies to come back in. Yep. You know, the assignment of benefits, both on uh, homeowners and automobile has, has just, uh, gone sideways uh, if you're a plaintiff's attorney. There's just been so much abuse of, of litigation in Florida alone, not to mention many other states that are faced with these catastrophic uh, claims, that uh, if we get past that 
If we get to a place where an insurance company doesn't actually have to build in 10 or 20 points of every dollar uh, that they collect in premium for litigation expense that ultimately is frivolous, yep. we'll be in a much better place. So I, I don't know. That, you that, can that, maybe that, speak yeah. to this better than I can. I don't have hard data in front of me. I saw in several places, this was repeated on social media, that more than 80% of every insurance carrier lawsuit originates from the state of Florida. Is there any truth to that? That sounds just absurd to think about. Oh, it, it's well over 50. I don't know if 80 is the right number, but uh, for anybody who's a player in that cat property market, uh, they always expect, and it, it comes to fruition, uh, a lot of lawsuits, most of them that are frivolous. Ideally, James, that will change in the coming years. It's going to take time, though. It doesn't happen overnight. And the attorneys are extremely smart. They're, they're going to figure out new ways to to spin this and find new ways to go after the industry. Man, it's something's got to change. We we do a lot of business in Florida, even though we're domiciled in Texas. And everything that you just said about assignment of benefits, I mean, I was standing and applauding almost, you know, when DeSantis signed that bill. It's like, okay, now now we just need some really aggressive tort reform and we may be actually getting somewhere in the state of Florida because, you know, at the end of the day, the the contractor world and the the plaintiff attorney world they sure do a great job of painting the the insurance carrier as the villain because the hmm. you know the policyholder doesn't know any better all they want is a claim to get paid you know they want their house or their car to get put back to normal and a lot of people are are abusing those sentiments in my opinion hats off to texas you you solved the hail dilemma several years ago it was identical Going back six, seven years in Texas. Remember all the hail oh, yeah. litigation? No, and it, and it took a whole yeah. lot to get over the attorney lobby, that's for mm. sure. Now, I've spent several days in Austin personally lobbying for that one, so I'm very glad to see that come down the pipe. You know, as, yeah, as, uh, exactly. as I promised, we uh, we're get to this point in the conversation, and uh, I, I love to hand the microphone to my guest and say, you know, what's on your mind? Anything we didn't talk about that you, you wanted to or that you think might be interesting for our listeners before we wrap this thing up and get you back to your afternoon? Yes, I, I'd just like to acknowledge the insurance industry in general, uh, you know, uh, for all the work we do in our communities. We don't toot our own horns enough. Uh, insurance agents and brokers and companies are some of the most uh, philanthropic organizations out there, from, from sponsoring local golf tournaments to to helping out after major disasters and, and all the volunteer days and hours and years that are done. It's, we really need to acknowledge that we do a terrific job of that a, across the entire country. And a plug I'd like to give is for the Insurance Industry Charitable Foundation. I've been involved with them for about 10 years. We're in about 20 cities now, and our sole aim is to uh, raise money through fundraising events, uh, grant it to uh, people in need uh, in our respective communities, and, and it's, it's extremely well run. And, and not only is it uh, a good outcome for uh, people who receive the grants, but it, it brings competitors together. And that's as important to me is to acknowledge that our competitors are also our friends in this industry. It's unique, I think, this industry. Our competitors can be our friends, and they oftentimes are. Uh, we get together, uh, nothing to do with the insurance industry, but we, we raise funds distributed to, to grantees who need it desperately. And at the same time, those grantees acknowledge the fact that our industry is, is a bunch of pretty cool people. We're not just there when a bad thing happens to people, when there's a policy that responds, but we're there irrespective of what's going on in the uh, general insurance community. Uh, we're helping them get their lives back on track, giving them a hand up, not a hand out. So IICF. Love that, Love man. it. And yeah. When you get off of this, if you wouldn't mind shooting me a quick email about that, we'll, we'll drop that the charitable foundation information in the show notes as well. Now, Thank you. Appreciate I would that. be remiss if I didn't uh, piggyback what you just said about the industry, uh, the big industry, small community initiative that Daniel Song and others have been uh, promoting Scott Howell and Bradley Flowers. I know you, you had a conversation with them and several of my friends. I think Doug Benz was the one who organized that little soiree up at yes. your office a few weeks ago. Yes. Um, I have to find myself onto eye. that list next time. <laughs> that looked like a whole lot of fun. We, we had a really good time. And, and again, I, I'm happy to share my experience with the Lloyd's Market and the ENS sector in general with anybody who wants to talk about it. So we're a great career path for a lot of people. And I, I would suggest that anybody who 
is fearful of the ENS sector, which is about 10% now of the overall U.S. property casualty premium market. Uh, we're, we're not the Wild West. 30 years ago, there were a lot of uh, um, Caribbean-based ENS insurers who went sideways and caused a lot of grief, but those days are long gone. We are regulated. All 54 jurisdictions in the U.S. look at us very carefully. The NAIC it pays a lot of attention to us. So if that's your only concern, uh, it's it's it shouldn't be. Um, the concern should be around, again, how you become successful, especially as a younger producer or a new agency owner in the ENS sector can really be your partner in a lot of respects. Well, at, at Riskwell, for our part, you know, we're more than 50% ENS uh, for our revenue at, at, at our office. So uh, I take particular interest in every word that comes out of your mouth on the subject. I promised uh-huh. before we got off that I would ask one question about Bermuda. What is it with Bermuda that is the Wild West? As you just said it, the Lloyds is no longer the Wild West like it was, you know, a couple of decades ago. Bermuda sure still feels like the Wild West. Every story I hear from anybody, uh, my friends in the ENS world at, at uh, you know, MGAs and wholesalers that have personal experience with the whole Bermuda thing. Uh, what is it about the <laughs> the icon of, of Bermuda that makes it such an eccentric little place in our industry. What is it about Bermuda? Well, hats off to Bermuda, who back in the early 80s realized that maybe tourism wasn't going to get them to the next level. So they essentially, as you know, built an, an ecosystem for capital to show up, uh, to attach itself to underwriting expertise. And, and there was a favorable tax play there, of course. And essentially, when, when the U.S. in the mid-80s had the, the, li- the product liability crisis, ACE and XL were born. And, and the rest of the world followed. So it, it's always been a, a really interesting place for those, again, with significantly complex law, uh, claims and needs to, to get their, their risks placed. Uh, you know, DNO, again, became a, a big play there, and, and it's always been a stop for cat property. So yep. I, I handed, handed it to Bermuda, not unlike Vermont, which 40 years ago realized that the agrarian economy and tourism wouldn't get them to the next level. So they are now the largest captive domicile outside of Bermuda in this part of the world. So there's, you know, that's a whole other conversation, oh, yeah. right, about captive domiciles. So I don't know, I got to hand it to them. I, yeah, they, they compete with Lloyd's, yet we also have a lot of Lloyd's uh, syndicates managing, managing agents who actually have a big play in Bermuda as well. You know, I, I, within the last two years, I've become a lot more familiar with captive management and alternative risk transfer and other more creative solutions. And started becoming aware of Bermuda and the whole annual meetings uh, shenanigans that <laughs> happened. It was like, wow, the government of Bermuda was onto something about you know, 30 years ago. What, what an interesting little story. You know, most people have no idea, but Bermuda is basically the insurance version of, of Las Vegas at 2 a.m. <laughs> so, but anyways, I, I digress. You don't, no need to uh, to get either one of us in, uh, mired in any controversy there. H- Hank, this has been a, an engaging, really enjoyable conversation. Thanks so much for your time today. Any final words before we wrap this thing up? No, James. Again, I appreciate uh, the opportunity to speak with you, and and we are here. If if anybody has any questions, I'm a huge fan of the insurance industry in general as a career stop. Uh, in a in a uh, a career end for so many people out there, and I'll continue to through our outreach to universities. You know there are about seventy five or eighty insurance programs now, actuarial science and risk management in the universities around this country. Mm. That's massive. We're the only country in the world with that, and and yet we still have a talent challenge. So I, I would suggest anybody who's out there partner with the universities in your town. Uh, for your next great hire because they're out there. Absolutely. We're, we're doing exactly that. Absolutely. That's good advice, Hank. Now, he is Hank Watkins, president of Lloyd's North America, and this has been another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. Make it a great day, boys and girls. We'll talk to you again real soon. Y'all take care. Thanks for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to AFP on your favorite platform to get automatic updates with every new episode and help other people find us. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and tell the world what you like best. Most importantly, please share AFP with someone you know who is still in captivity. They'll thank you later. 
visit our website at agencyfreedom.com to get access to exclusive content and announcements. Join our community on Facebook by typing in Agency Freedom in the search bar. Send your questions, comments, guest recommendations, and favorite grilling recipes to us at podcast at agencyfreedom.com. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. Until next time, let's go. Hey, agents, listen to this. Listen to this. What are we terrible at? Think of it. Think of it. Really? We're, we're terrible at training, right? We're not very good at hiring. We're not very good, terrible at firing, actually. Uh, terrible at creating process and some workflows. Terrible at technology and implementing that technology and even knowing what type of technology we want. And the list goes on and on. Now, listen, I'm an agency owner. And I, you know how it is. To, to fix a problem, the first thing you've got to do is you got to admit you have a problem. Here's what you do. Go to virtualintel.com. Check out what we do because we do all those bad things that you can't do. Really? And you may do one or two of them well. Good for you if you can do them all. Just want you to know you're in the minority. But if you can't do any of them good or you don't even want to do them anymore because it just takes too much mental power, then good for you for realizing that and give us a call. I'm telling you, virtual intelligence, that's what we do. And where we specialize in high quality VEs, not virtual assistants. Look it up. Go to ChatGPT. Put in what's the difference between a virtual assistant and a virtual employee. Enough said. I don't have enough time to go on and on about all the differences on this 60 second commercial, but you've got time to search it and look at it. That's what we do. We deliver high quality VEs. We mix the technology with it. We train them on the technology, give them and the technology to you and you're off to the races. I'm not joking with you. You can call my agency at any time, ask for Lordland. And we do ask her, say, how fast are you able to do quotes? I've actually got a couple videos of it. That's right. We can do five to 10 carriers in one quote in three to seven minutes. So you give me an auto quote, I can do five to 10 carriers in three to seven minutes. How are we doing it? We're doing it through the technology of virtual intelligence. Give us a call, check us out. You can ask for me personally, I'll do the demo for you. Who are they? Cast certified.